Welcome to another edition of Mr. Nice Guy. I'm Ben Slowey. Today with me I have, in addition to all these wonderful uh, liquors and shots and, and uh, assortments here, um, I have two of my good friends um, that are, um, they are passionate, strong women that have, uh, that have, that actually started their own campus organization uh, on UWM's campus, uh, PASA, aka Panthers Against Sexual Assault. Um, they're both women's and gender studies majors, and we're going to talk a little bit about um, the, uh, the implementation of feminism in our society today, and, you know, just why all the work that they do matters. Thank you, ladies, for being on the show today. Thanks so much, Ben. Of course. Mm -hmm. uh, how are we? T uh, before we dive into... <laughs> before we jump straight into the, the juice here, uh, yeah, how was your day today? Um, I just went to school, so, you know. Yeah. Right, yeah. It's <laughs> kind of shitty out today. Yeah. Not really a walk in the park kind of day. No. How about you? Good. I hung out with my dog, and then I just worked. And then I got Thai food, so that's Sounds really good right now. Really good. Also, uh, di didn't even mention, they're both named Natalie. Yeah, I didn't properly introduce you guys. Fucking, mm -hmm. oh, this is a sign. We're your friends, you know. I know, right? It, yeah, that's kind of how I like, sh like introduce a lot of people. Like, this is my good friend. <laughs> With Don't that, say that, 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 their names not, their, their name does not matter. Just they're my friend. Um, thank you guys for bringing these. By the way, um, yeah, who brought what? Every, everything just kind of appeared on the table at once. <laughs> um, Nat brought the shots. And the, is this Cab? Yes. Cab, I believe so. Brought the rosé. Cabernet yeah. Chauvignon. Yeah, I'm not that fancy, but I brought it. So, then you brought this. Okay. Mm -hmm. This tastes like the wine version of an IPA. Huh. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what that means, but. Sure. Well, I'll try it. And we'll see. Sure. Oh, this, yeah, why didn't I try this one? This stuff looks like super sweet. Yeah, I love this. It's not, it's not too sweet, and it doesn't like burn when you swallow it, so that's nice. Oh. <laughs> Oh, well, that helps. Yeah. <laughs> right. All right, so, ladies, so what we talk about in Mr. Nice Guy, we talk about love and fear. Mm -hmm. And I know that um, primarily on the show so far, I've had a lot of different creatives on the show. I've had, you know, uh, musicians, poets, um, you know, people that do graphic design, like all sorts of stuff. Um, but... When I'm doing these episodes, I'm like I'm finding that love and fear, and also artistry in general in a lot of different ways, um, directly it, it kind of corresponds with a lot of social justice stuff and mm -hmm. stuff about how basically love and fear feed into creativity in the same way they feed into causes mm -hmm. and social justice and that kind of stuff. So I'm trying to incorporate more of that sort of. Um, that subject matter into my show. I want to, you know, bring more, uh, bring more of a voice to that because uh, I know you guys have done a lot of really um, wonderful work on campus with, you know, your guys' organization bringing um, light to an incredibly overlooked cause. Um, and I want to start by talking a little bit about what enticed you guys to want, like bring an actual organization to the voice of, um, you know, what, like, the process of, of uh, forming the organization and why, why it was important for you guys to do that. Mm -hmm. 
Um, I'm not going to take credit for it because it was Nat's idea, so. Well, um, <laughs> so it was really a group effort, to be honest. Um, yeah, but so, hey, you count. Yeah, you work yeah. well. Okay. <laughs> um, well, I guess um, when I was going to when I was a student at UWM, um, I started taking women and gender studies classes, and those just became like my. We were talking about this earlier, like my kind of safe haven. Like that is what I would look forward to every day. And then we started talking about um, the pervasive nature of sexual assault. And then my freshman year of college, a lot of rumors or even things that happened to my friends were going around, like something with a fraternity on my campus was very big news when I was a freshman. I remember that. Um, and it didn't seem like there was, from what I understood, it, it didn't seem like there was a lot being done. Um, mm -hmm. So then I realized that there wasn't a student-led sexual assault awareness and advocacy group. Mm -hmm. So that's when I wanted to start PASA um, because I realized that you have to harness the power of the students um, because the students, when we come together, have such a powerful voice and we can make real change. So that's why I started PASA. Um, and then Natalie came on board with another with a whole bunch of other amazing activists and organizers um, in 2016. And I graduated in 2018, um, May 2018, and then our current president, Emma May Weber, um, took over, and Natalie is still an organizer cool. with them. Yeah, um, I want to so shout out a couple other people that were involved in that organization. Haley Richards, mm -hmm. shout out. Mm -hmm. Who else, who am I missing? The... Melissa Merch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Mersh. shout out Melissa. Merch. Mersh. I just like forgot how to speak for a second. Tanner Musgrove. Yeah. Shout out, shout out Sprite Canton. Mm -hmm. yep. <laughs> Sprite Canton. I, I, I always say it wrong. I know. Um, Shelby Sanderson. Yep. Uh, Madison Crouch. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, Ellie Larkey. Yep. Mm -hmm. She was our creative director for a while. Um, Emily Rakovan was like our interim kind mm -hmm. of uh, our interim officer for a few things. Um, that was the yeah that was the OG group so are there <laughs> any men that uh, became involved in the organization I believe there were members that were men but men um, men people that identified as men were not in positions of authority yeah they sure. were officers yeah I see. sure because that's something that I think men need to actively be more involved in yeah. is that sort of awareness to mm -hmm. because it, it's also like it it, um, it has a lot of weight when um, an issue that is not, like, I mean, and, you know, it's, like, sexual assault survivors are predominantly women. It's, like, mm -hmm. obviously, you know, non, it happens to non-binary people. It happens to men. Mm -hmm. But we don't talk about it as much, like, when it does happen to men. And I think that um, given that, like, especially with, like, the, the, how, the way that, like, um, issues like toxic masculinity feed into sexual assault that feed, it feeds into issues like misogyny. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, I think that it's, it's really important for men to be actively involved in, you know, raising awareness about, um, you know, sexual misconduct and safety and also identifying the red flags. Mm. Um, and it's something that like as a man, um, I didn't really, like, if you would have asked me, like, you know, maybe when I was, like, a freshman or a sophomore in college, I wouldn't have known how to identify when a situation was mm -hmm. really good. Like, 
when if the situation was getting unsafe, it's like, what am I supposed to do about it? Like, how am I supposed to intervene? Like, what can I do? Like, and we kind of we get in, stuck in that mentality where it's like, oh well, this isn't really. I'm only a bystander. Like, what am I supposed to do about it? Like, how can like or when someone is telling me that this happens to them, like, how do I respond? How do I react? And like, it's it's kind of crazy that like you know we weren't really educated on that kind of um, on that sort of curriculum of mm -hmm. like what it takes to be present for a situation that is potentially unsafe mm -hmm. or also being an effect being a, an ally slash listener to somebody who has been a victim of it mm -hmm. um so i definitely hope to see that you know there's more men that step up and actually like take mm -hmm. an active step in promoting what you guys do because mm -hmm. you know we need that mm -hmm. absolutely um, I think it's also, it's just really hard to be a bystander because you think like, oh, somebody else will step in. Or yeah. if you're in a group of people like, oh, somebody else will, you know, do the right thing. Um, and you get so caught up in that right. that you, no, no one ever steps up. So yeah. I guess if you're looking for advice or anything, like, I mean, I don't know if you're looking for advice or like if you want a response. Um, but I mean, I guess I would say whenever things ha like that happen, just listen to your gut because it's, it's just your intuition telling yeah. you like this isn't right and right. this isn't you should step in if mm -hmm. you're able if you feel safe enough. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes it can be as easy as um, like if you're at a bar or something, just being like going up to someone and saying like, "Is this person bothering you?" You know. Yeah. It can be like as easy as that to intervene. Which is something, yeah, I started trying to do that specifically mm -hmm. yeah. like which I mean like in. I guess I shouldn't say it's easy because it is it is hard mm -hmm. to put yourself out there like that and you're also risking your own safety in that situation so mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah totally yeah because it's like you're yeah like you said um you, like your inhibitions kind of get in the way where it's like mm -hmm. yeah is someone else gonna mm -hmm. does someone else have this under control or like mm -hmm. how do I like you also can't always like listen to like what somebody is um you can't listen to a conversation, you know, when, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot going on around you and it's like, you don't know whether it is or isn't, but I think that's also important why like checking in with your friend or someone else, just making sure that like they're, you know, cause nonverbals are really important in that. Mm -hmm. in that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think it's a really cool thing in like drunk girl culture that like we check mm -hmm. on each other, but I feel like, yeah, like to get men in on that would be pretty cool, mm -hmm. you know? It, it, it would be dope. Yeah, it would be dope. Um, but, yeah, because I feel like I do that all the time. Like, if I see, like, a girl at a bar or something, and, like, someone's talking to their, like, talking to them, and I'm like, hey, you okay? Right, right, yeah. But, <laughs> yeah, totally. So, and speaking of that, um, so I know that you two are also, like, you know, you both have been really involved in things like feminism and, um, you both are really passionate about like women's reproductive rights and everything like that. Um, yeah, shout out your job. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, you want to explain what your yeah. position is? Yep. Um, so I am the Wisconsin organizer for ReproAction. ReproAction is a newly formed direct action group. Um, we exist to um, increase access to abortion and advance reproductive justice. Um, so that can be anything from um, exposing fake clinics like we were um, discussing earlier or um, 
getting Harris Teeter, which is like a Walgreens of the South, to put Plan B on their shelves, um, or anything like my job um, with the Emerald Child Protection Act. Sure. So I essentially, um, my job is focused around eliminating, eliminating the Emerald Child Protection Act. Um, have either of you heard of it or anything? It's kind of... Mm -hmm. I haven't, but mm. I that's a sign I just need to listen more about what's going on. I was just saying, I've seen the things that like you've posted, yeah. but yeah. other than that, I don't mm -hmm. think it gets much like mainstream. Oh attention. yeah. Is it only in our state? Yeah. So um, essentially, what the Amber Child Protection Act does, um, it allows the Wisconsin government to accuse certain pregnant people of unborn child abuse. So essentially, that means that the state can take you into custody, um, assign a lawyer for the embryo or fetus, and then lock you up in a psychiatric hospital, forced drug treatment, or jail. Um, even if drug treatment isn't really needed, um, it's really dangerous because then people don't want to go to their doctor, and it's just mm -hmm. bad policy in general. Nice. Um, and it was ruled unconstitutional in, I believe, April 2017, um, but it was kept in place due to the efforts of former Governor Scott Walker and former Attorney General Brad Schimmel no surprise so that's a big spiel on what it is sure. um, i think that we should talk about fake clinics because a lot of people don't know are, are not aware of the fact that they're a thing uh, i wasn't until recently myself when my mom pointed out that one had just opened a couple doors down from our house um yeah so essentially like so if i'm so basically they're like Clinics that are opened in order to sort of like counter things like Planned Parenthood that like give access to, you know, um, like abortion and stuff like that. Is that kind of how they work? Yeah. So um, I can, I don't know, I can go on a spiel. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, you're the expert. <laughs> yeah. They, um, essentially what fake clinics aim to do is um, they're just anti-abortion um, centers that entice you saying that will help you abortion is the only way and they sometimes they have things like sidewalk counseling so um in milwaukee we have an abortion clinic and they will stand sometimes on the other side because they have in uh, a fake clinic right across the street so they'll say oh we can help you over here and then they put them to the clinic and they tell them that um there, like that uh, abortion leads to depression, suicide, mm -hmm. um, which you is you can't get totally, pregnant again ever, exactly. like lies like that. Yeah. <laughs> totally, like they they lie to you. They tell you that abortion is unsafe. Well, so can pregnant pregnancy in general, like pregnancy is not, more dangerous than abortion. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, they are essentially just exist to sway people, especially women, from getting abortions, and they lie to you and make you feel like you're going to hell if you get an abortion. Right. So. Yeah, it, the thing like the thing that always baffled me is that no one wants to have an abortion. Like people, they, they act like people love abortion. It's like it's not mm -hmm. a pleasant experience one way or the other. Like it's right. like it's not like people are like oh like I'm pregnant I'm gonna go get an abortion. Right, it's like, not like it, you're like skipping into right, right. parenthood. Like no one wants to make that decision. Right, right. It's a really difficult and challenging mm -hmm. decision to make, and a lot of people just don't go through with it because of that sort of like you know they get caught in like the moral question they get caught in like a a crisis of like you know is this what i want or is it not what i want or or in the case of when somebody is like um you know when they're a, a woman's health is in danger or they were assaulted and became pregnant as a result of it it's like they it's it's a difficult procedure to carry through what like 
you, you can be like the staunchest supporter like of choice, but mm-hmm. still have difficulty like actually going through with it. And like, I think that that's something that like, especially like pro-lifers like mix up a lot is that like, it's, it's not something it's just, it should be, the option should be there whether someone chooses to use it or not, mm-hmm. you know, like, it's not like, you know, we're, it's not like it's a, it's a desirable position to be in, you know? Right. Yeah. My thing is, it's just, it's none of my business, you know, mm-hmm. like I have that no right too. to choose, you know, what someone does with their body. And, um, I don't know if either of you guys listen to, um, Getting Curious, the podcast with Jonathan no, Van Ness. I, should, um, I don't. It's a good one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But he interviewed Jodi Picoult, which is actually my favorite author, Mm -hmm. and she recently wrote a book, like, she writes fictional books, but Mm -hmm. she covers, like, a lot of social issues, Mm -hmm. and her most recent book is about, like, topics like abortion and stuff like Mm -hmm. that, and, um, you know, she was saying on this podcast that, you know, like, anti-choice people, they always say, like, you know, that's, that's, like, someone's life like why like they should have their own bodily autonomy mm-hmm. and you know what her thing is that like at what point does that stop for a woman that mm-hmm. she doesn't get to choose what happens to her body like mm-hmm. so it's just it's so it's hypocritical you mm-hmm. know so mm-hmm. and i think that the way we talk about abortion um needs to just fundamentally change in general just because like you know the way that um the anti-abortion people are talking about it is it's like killing a baby or what have you, or even, I'm sure you both know that, um, President Trump recently said in Wisconsin I that still can't people, even say president. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I can't, I still can't do it. Yep. Um, he came to Wisconsin and told people that people, pregnant people are giving birth and then executing their babies or killing their babies after birth, which is literally entirely false. And yeah. it's just, it's just insane. It's just. It, that literally never happens. Um, so the way that we need to, like, I guess, turn on that is the way we talk about abortion. Because, like, they're, the other side, I would say, is advancing. Roe is probably going to be overturned in the next year or two. I would be surprised if it wasn't. Sorry. Um, I just think that, I mean, some people, like, like you said, it's not a desirable position to be in because of, like, the way that abortion is stigmatized. Mm-hmm. Like... If it wasn't so stigmatized, people would be like, would be okay with, or would be open about having an abortion, but you know, or would be like, oh yeah, like I've had an abortion, or like, oh yeah, my friend has had an abortion, and like, she was happy with her choice, or whatever, like the way that we, we can't even talk about like, being happy with our choices, because people will say you're killing your baby, or... I saw a tweet recently that was like, well, if you're pro-life, that also must mean that you're pro, you know... The life of minorities, pro-life of immigrants, pro-life of literally people worldwide that are persecuted or oppressed based on what they believe, who they are, what they look like, but you don't see them, uh, the vast majority I'm sure people that are like so passionate about being pro-life probably aren't going to give a voice to the issues of, you know, those marginalized groups. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about the broken foster care system? Can we talk about how oh, LGBTQ people can't adopt? Like, once Trans we... Being banned from military. Right. 
once we get past that, like, then talk to me about being pro-life. Mm-hmm. But, like, if you're not looking after these kids who mm-hmm. are being raised in poverty or being raised by parents who don't mm-hmm. want them, like, mm-hmm. let's not have the pro-life conversation. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? No, like, absolutely. Or even, like, the death penalty. People are, like, oh, right. pro-life, like, how, but, yeah. like, pro-death penalty. I'm like, but where, but yeah. how does that happen? It's so, just, yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. It, so, something I want to talk about is, so, um, so, like, you guys... Are, so how do, how would you guys say that like being se- sexual assault awareness how does that coincide with feminism? Do you want to put that away? Sure. Um, so for me, like what we already talked about, like sexual assault is largely like a women's issue. Like it does happen to men, but it, and it does largely happen to transgender people too. We should mention that. Um, but, like, feminism, like, at its core is all about, you know, equality for all people. So, if people are being stripped of their bodily autonomy, you know, mm-hmm. like, that's not equality. So, it's, mm-hmm. it's definitely a feminist issue, in my opinion, but. It's absolutely, it's mm-hmm. like, literally just hit the nail right on the head. Like, mm-hmm. if, if, um, I would be very hesitant to associate myself with somebody that was a feminist but wasn't, you know, like, for sexual assault survivors. Right, yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's it's definitely a feminist issue. It has mm-hmm. to be. I mean, it's also, like, a reproductive justice issue. Yeah, it's just, right. like, an everything issue. I mean, I think the statistic is, don't quote me on this, but, like, one in four <laughs> people, or one in four women, or I would say cis women, cis, um, cisgender women are sexually assaulted in their lifetime, I believe. And that's huge portion of um, the population, not even mentioning like non-binary people, trans mm-hmm. people, minorities, etc. So it's definitely a feminist mm-hmm. issue. It yeah. has to be. And it's probably more than that because it's so oh, underreported. Yeah. You know, like we'll think, never yeah. know the real statistic, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I guess that that's also um, that makes feminism a very umbrella term because of all these like sort of issues within that, you know, feminism also sort of like you know speaks to which is a lot of that um like there's there's a lot of like sort of like underlying issues that affect you know the um that affect the same issues that feminism kind of aims to to, uh, address like something that a lot of people struggle so like after for specifically like after the me too movement like you know came to fruition in october of 2017 like you have a lot of people that um, that, like, you know, came out and, and spoke about their experience, and it, it brought light to just how prevalent it is, mm-hmm. like, in, you know, like, just everywhere around mm-hmm. us. Like, I, like, I can't even, like, I can't even begin to, like, count, like, how many women I know, like, friends of mine that have gone through that experience, and, like, I can't, like, I mean, it's terrifying to me. It really upsets me. It, mm-hmm. it disheartens me because it also, like, as a guy, it's like, from that perspective, it's like, wow, I wonder, like, you know, it's like, this happens so prevalently around me, like, what can I do? Mm-hmm. You know, sort of, like, what what's in my power to do? Or, like, also, you know, who who do I know that, who might I know that, you know, is a perpetrator of this kind of thing mm-hmm. or is, 
capable of, you know, this kind of misconduct. And I may, I may know this, like, in my own mind, but it never, like, but it always helps to still hear from it, like, you, like, what, just, like, what men can do. Mm-hmm. I, like, I want to hear from you guys, like, personally, like, mm-hmm. how, like, how men can be, what can men do better? Mm-hmm. How can men help address this issue? Mm-hmm. And the answers might seem obvious yeah. to people mm-hmm. that might be listening, it might seem obvious to us, but it still never hurts to keep, mm-hmm. like, yeah. discussing it. Mm-hmm. So, um, I would say, first and foremost, um, try to dismantle rape culture in your small circles, because I don't want to, I mean, people make, like, sexual assault and rape jokes, like, they still do, which, I mean, I I don't, I wouldn't consider myself somebody that associates myself with people that do, but, like, these people that, you know, say things and use rape as a punchline, like, those are ways that we normalize rape, and those are ways that it becomes like, it, do, it becomes like a ordinary topic and it shouldn't be. Um, so I would first call out your friends or even call out your family members and say that's not cool, that's really dangerous and very scary and that hurts me and you need to stop. Yeah. Even if you're not somebody that has been sexually assaulted or even if you don't know someone who's been sexually assaulted. But I mean, I'm sure even if you don't know if someone's been sexually assaulted, I'm sure that you know somebody that has. Mm-hmm. They may just not have told you. But anyways, I mean, I would definitely start with dismantling rape culture in our circles because that's how we can create the ripple effect. Mm-hmm. Um, and I... Yeah, you can take it away. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I would also say just look inwardly, like, at yourself. Um, I think we perpetuate things a lot of times we don't even realize it. Um, I think a lot of things we're taught growing up is that, you know, if, you know, a girl isn't into you, she's just playing hard to get and stuff like that. So I would say, I don't know, just like if someone isn't into you, just drop it. We see that in movies a lot. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, Mm -hmm. it's something I like more and more like notice Mm -hmm. as you kind of think, like, for example, like, and like. Granted, like, this movie is really funny, and it's not, it doesn't directly, like, you know, promote that kind of stuff, but let's take the movie Superbad, for example. Mm-hmm. Like, Superbad, like, I mean, a lot of people love that movie, mm-hmm. but the movie is literally about two guys that are trying to lose their virginity, like, before, like, high school is over, and, like, they're, just the way they conduct themselves and talk about it, like, it's meant for comedic effect. It, I feel like the movie basically satirizes, like, how much of like, the, the conquest of mm-hmm. losing your virginity before high school, mm-hmm. like, that's what the movie makes fun of. Mm-hmm. But, you know, somebody can look at that and be like, damn, like, you know, I remember how much I, like, thought it was important, like, valued how much, like, I wanted to lose my virginity before high school, how much value I placed mm-hmm. on that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. like, and, like, how much, like, Jonah Hill and, and Michael Sarah like, emphasize that, and, like, they're just pursuing these girls that, like, I mean, are kind of, sort of into them, maybe, but they're not sure, but they're just so intent on it. It's, like, that kind of stuff can, like, be perpetuated mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. lead to, you know, disastrous, disastrous consequences in real life. Mm-hmm. 
And it's not saying that, like, oh, like, oh, it's, like, a bad movie. Like, I'm not saying that at all. As a matter of fact, I think it's great that that movie satirizes that. But that being said, it's, I think it's still important to acknowledge, to, to point out that, like, you know, that is actually how people operate. And that is actually how, like, a lot of young men, especially men that are insecure about themselves, like, place value it within themselves and they also see it as like a status symbol i mean yeah i think we are so unfair to our boys that we raise we teach them that you know they have to be aggressive they have to be like you said on this like sexual conquest mm -hmm. that they you know if they're a virgin that's like embarrassing and like stuff like that and it's just ridiculous mm -hmm. <laughs> like uh i don't know but mm -hmm. And, like, it's just, you know, we were even talking about this earlier, like, it just perpetuates, like, these ideas of toxic masculinity, like, mm -hmm. literally, like you said, like, it teaches men that they have to be aggressive and sexually dominant, yeah. and they have to go after what they want, even if it, you know, hurts people, mm -hmm. or, mm -hmm. you know, it's just really, really dangerous, and the way that we even start that from, like, I would say birth, even, like, people <laughs> have, like, shirts that say, like, I'm a stud muffin or whatever oh for their kids and like for your boys and like that literally makes me want to vomit like dress your kids how you want but the way that you're teaching your kids to be like a ladies man or mm -hmm. whatever you are teaching and you don't child. even know like what their sexual orientation is oh, in yeah. the future right, yeah. so and you don't even know if they're like a like just because they have like male genitalia right and they're a boy so yeah. it's just the way so that we raise men or men identifying individuals yeah. is really really is just horrible yeah. for, mm -hmm. and it just mm -hmm. reinforces the patriarchy and tax masculinity, and mm -hmm. then the list goes on, and, and, and we talk about this all day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, and like, mm -hmm. and on behalf of like, as a man mm -hmm. who was raised in that culture, mm -hmm. I was literally bullied in mm -hmm. middle school because I was like the only one out of my friends that had never had a girlfriend before. Mm -hmm. Like, I had been, like, I was. I, I was so fucking insecure because of it. I was insecure that the fact that, like, no girl was interested in me, that no girl would ever want to talk to me, that no girl was, like, going to, like, ever like me for who I was, and, like, you know, that led to a lot of crying, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration. Um, also, uh, you know, 14, 15 year old boy angst, you know? <laughs> We were all anxious. Right, yeah. yeah. All but, but it's like, but think about how much more pleasant a childhood would be if, like, we were... If you could just be a child. Well, yeah, like, if, we, <laughs> if you were raised emphasizing childlike wonder mm -hmm. and self-expression mm -hmm. as opposed to these are the norms you need to, um, that you need to abide by in order to be accepted. Mm -hmm. And... And, like, and not even just me, like, you know, men, like, so many fucking dudes I know, like, went through the same exact thing. And, like, yeah. I, I know that, like, people that might watch this are going to be like, oh, yeah, shit, like, I remember, like, how much people made fun of me because, like, oh, like, I had never had sex before. Right. Or, like, I had never kissed a girl. And, like, for what? You know? Because also... And I know this because, like, I've been through it. Like, it's, like, even when you, like, accomplish, like, oh, yeah, like, I, you know, like, 
this person I thought was attractive, like, I, like, you know, I, like, talked to them, and, like, you know, we, we started talking, we hit it off, we hooked up, it's like, yeah, that's great, but only temporarily. After that is a account, you're going to want more, and you're going to want more, and you're going to want to keep, like, chasing after that. Like, it never gets satisfied. Like, it all, it's, it's like, you still want, it, it, like, nothing, even if you, like, you, like, quote-unquote, like, achieve that conquest of, like, oh, like, yeah, I succeeded in, in, like, you know, getting with this person. It, it's like, you know, after, like, a day or two, like, you're gonna be like, well, now that wasn't enough. Like, I'm, I still need to prove myself. And, uh, like, you know, that's, that's, I feel like that's another aspect of it where it's like, it's like, it's almost like you have, to, it's like, even if, like, you, like, you know, are, even if you have, you know, this, like, um, like, satisfy these, like, self-imposed goals on yours, like, when you're raised in that culture and you think of it, like, oh, well, I need to lose my virginity, or, like, mm -hmm. I need to, like, accomplish this to, in order for myself to feel good about myself, then that's not going to be enough. Mm -hmm. You're going to want more and more. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that comes from sexual energy. It comes from, you know, it also comes from insecurity and a need to exert like a dominance or a, a, a sense of control over another person. Mm -hmm. And that is what leads to things like sexual assault. Mm -hmm. And Absolutely. it's always like you're not manly enough, even if you, you know, have like a, like even if you do have sex or if you have a girlfriend or if you, you know, like do guy things, whatever that means. But like you're <laughs> never going to be like manly enough. Yeah. And then that just leads into like the way that we look at men, the way that we think, men should be like in our society like men should be the breadwinner men should be aggressive mm -hmm. and then that yeah. sexual assault and that leads to rape and that leads to men outperforming women um in jobs and yeah. you know and even um jobs like the presidency for example or like literally anything yeah. so it feeds into like a society in which nothing's ever good enough and yeah. um it leads to, it just leaks into our society, like, that we think men are better than women, or what have you, mm -hmm. or cis men are better than cis yeah. women, and then just creates inequities, and it's just right. horrible, and we need to work very hard to dismantle that. Yeah, and that, and that also ties into, like, the, the classes, the classism of gender, where it's like, oh, well, you know, this is how men should be, this is how women should be, mm -hmm. you know, men are supposed to do this, women are supposed to do that. Mm -hmm pushes women into lower paying jobs, it pushes men into this mentality that, you know, they have to be that, like you said, breadwinner in order to feel manly or feel mm -hmm. validated. Mm -hmm. And I find myself trying to challenge that masculinity a lot because a lot of it comes innately. Like a lot of it will come to me like day by day where it's like, oh shit, like I feel like I need to, you know, like you know, when I want to, because uh, for one, like, like, I definitely want to get married, I want to have a family, I want to have kids, and I think about how, you know, ways that I might 
challenge not only myself, but challenge my kids too with the way that those norms are established where like, you know, I don't want to be seen as like the mean hulking dad that's like, you know, the man of the house. I don't want to be seen like that. Instead, I want to like, I want to nurture my kid. I want to give my kid a lot of love and affection and I want to let my kid know that it's okay to express themselves in any way possible. And, and, I mean, like, shout out my mom and dad. They're fucking great. <laughs> like, my, my parents are fucking great. But it's like, and, and granted, like, they're Generation X, so, like, th- these norms of, are, it's like, life was a lot different, like, when they were parenting me and my sister than it is now. But, that being said, like, you know, like, I always saw my dad as, like, that man of the house, you know? And my mom always was, like, the nurturing one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, like, so both of you, like, as I introduced you both, like, you guys are women's and gender studies majors. Um, and <laughs> I think that, you know, we need to, I, I think it's also worthy to have a conversation about the importance of that major. And because was it even a major, like, maybe, like, you know, 20 years ago, 50 years ago, like, was it, was it a, was it a topic of discussion that, or a topic of study, I should say, until now? Um, well, I can't remember the exact year, but we all went to UWM, and UWM was the first, uh, school in the UW system to have a women's studies program, which is pretty cool. Um, and my freshman, our freshman year, yeah. They changed it to women's and gender studies. Yep. It used to be just women's studies. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's cool to make it more like inclusive and mm-hmm. stuff, and more like accurately reflecting, mm-hmm. you know, what all you're studying. But mm-hmm. yeah. um, I even remember uh, I met with the chair of our department, mm-hmm. and I believe she said that like when she was going to school, there wasn't a women's gender studies major. I think mm-hmm. she was like a sociology major or something mm-hmm. along those lines, but. Then she went to grad school for women and gender studies because I think, because then it was offered. Mm-hmm, sure. But so it hasn't been around for like a. It's very very new. Mm-hmm. Very new. Yeah. And when you tell someone you're a WGS major, the first question you get is, "What do you to do with that?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah. So. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, I think like people don't realize there's so many things you can do with it. Like you can be like Nat and work at Repro Action mm-hmm. or like yeah. my intro to women's studies teacher, she works at the Library of Congress, which is amazing. So, yeah. I'm sure classic. like, and I imagine like that major like not only educates you about such issues within that field, but also, um, but also kind of like tailors you with communication skills and mm-hmm. skills about like community engagement and that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For sure. It allows you to like look at the world through a totally different like way. Like when I came to UWM, I didn't even really know what feminism was, which is like very telling because it came from a like a well, I came from a very small town near Madison. Um, but then when I came to UWM, I was like, oh, this is what feminism is. And then I slowly got a women and gender studies major, and that's that's how I see the world. Like I yeah. wake up and I put my like feminism glasses on, mm. and then that's how I go through my day. Yeah. Sure. Um, yeah, it's yeah. definitely a process of, like, unlearning everything oh, yeah. you grew up with, yeah. for sure. Oh, yeah. What are some examples of things that you both, like, I want to hear from both of you, like, you guys as, as women, like, what are some things that you had to unlearn, mm-hmm. like, in terms of, like, you know? Mm-hmm. 
Right. Um, well, for me, <laughs> I went to like a Christian school until eighth grade. So, and I remember going into high school and like meeting a gay person for the first time and being like, oh, like, there's the person. Like, they don't, they shouldn't like go to hell just for like existing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So, like, high school was the first like wake up call for me, like mm -hmm. learning stuff like that. But I think coming to college, just like, I don't know, just like not being around all white people oh, all the exactly. time, yeah. <laughs> like coming from a small town and mm -hmm. like having people in my class who are trans and mm -hmm. they're talking about the issues that they face as a trans person. Like I will never forget um, someone in my class, like we weren't having like, a class discussion, like class had ended, but they were talking to their friend and they said like, yeah, like I gotta get to class, but like I really have to pee and like I, I don't have time to find an inclusive bathroom. And, like, that's heavy. Like, <laughs> that shit's fucked up. Like, so, just, like, little things like that, like, oh, totally yeah. open your eyes to, like, I have so much privilege as, like, a white, cisgender, mm -hmm. um, like, middle-class-ish person, you know? So, like, just having discussions like that in class, like, every day was, like, really, like, mind-opening for me. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know if you... Mm -hmm. I was about to say the same thing. Like, as a white, cis woman I never had to like think about my privilege when I was growing up so like I didn't have to think about the implications of like what I did or mm -hmm. whatever because I grew up around white people and because I didn't think it affected me but now that I went to school I was like everything that I do as a white cis person because I have so much privilege like I need to find ways to make my privilege work for other people if that makes sense mm -hmm. so I need to find a way to pass the mic which is something that yeah. I struggled with um and I still struggle with because I grew up with the norm that I that my white cis voice was the most important which is obviously not true at all so finding ways to be more inclusive and unlearning like things that I've been taught um even just about like vocabulary that I used um mm -hmm. that now I know is not the right way to approach things or you know, just everything. I'm literally, I'm unlearning things every single day. Mm -hmm. So, like, I go through things and I think something that, you know, isn't very inclusive or is very, like, binary. And then I'm like, okay, I gotta step back, think about why I'm doing this, and then move forward in a different mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I experienced that within this, this very show, like... Mm -hmm. As a man, it's like I'm a dude and I'm talking to women about women's issues with two women that study women's studies. <laughs> like, <laughs> who am I kidding? Like, <laughs> but I mean, like, and you know, like you, and it's like, you both know, like inside and out, like everything that we've talked about on the show today. And like, um, but I think I, I, I do definitely believe in like personal anecdotes because that, that helps, um, it helps like your own application of like that, that personal experience with something. Um, so, um, how, so how, how did you guys, um, so as Pat, like when you guys were past up, um, like what kind of like events did you guys hold and like what kind, what would you say like you guys, um, accomplished as not only an organization but as a cause and like how would you say like you feel like you've changed like the landscape of uh mm -hmm. um i guess i feel like passa was a way for people to 
especially our member meetings, like we had member meetings every other week. Um, that kind of, it was, it served a purpose for me. I don't know if it did for everybody else, but it like acted as a way to come together and talk about an issue. So that's something that I found really important because in our women's studies classes, we were mostly all on the same page about things. And then when we came together with people outside of women and gender studies, it just opened a whole new Pandora's box, I would mm -hmm. say, because I learned about things that I wouldn't even think about and I was able to talk to people and get other insights. So I definitely think that it kind of changed the conversation a little bit. Um, I think that uh, it allowed people to um, be more forthcoming and supporting sexual assault survivors um, in like a community setting, I would mm -hmm. say. But um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we would have member meetings and like the members would talk about things that were like going on in the dorms that we had no idea that were going on with like sexual assault and like stuff like that. And I think people just really need and want an organization like PASA where they can come and say like, this happened to me and I don't want this to happen to anyone else, you know, and I want to do something about it. Mm -hmm. And I think that's so important. So, you know, after I'm long gone out of UWM, I hope it continues because I think it's definitely needed and especially lately with the professor that was accused of rape. Mm -hmm. um, and like, I think there was another professor accused of like sexual harassment or something. Oh, he was, um, there was one that was caught with child pornography. Yep, that was right. it, yep. Mm -hmm. So, which sucks because like, I love UWM, I love our major, I love like the little communities, but like bad things happen everywhere and UWM, you know, isn't like immune to no that, exception. unfortunately. Yeah, there's no exception. Um, and unfortunately, it's brought a lot of things to light, like how UWM covers things up, I think, um, and probably just universities in general. Um, I know Our people... culture, Western culture. Oh, yeah, every... for sure. Not... Shit. Not even this Western culture. <laughs> Literally, the fucking world covers right. that shit up. Right, right, like, right, right. In yeah. e like, everywhere, mm -hmm. like, shit like yeah. that is covered mm -hmm. up. Yeah. I'm just, I'm so proud of, um, like, JAM students who are trying to, you know, fight for transparency because there's so much information that we oh, don't yeah. even mm -hmm. know about yeah. mm -hmm. the professor who, um, like, raped someone yeah. or raped multiple people. Like, people are trying to, like, find out, like, if he's still getting, like, compensated and stuff like that. And, like, just the fact that, like, so much is hidden from us is really frustrating. So, going yeah. back to your original question, like, I think PASA is so important because... You know this issue isn't going away unfortunately and you know we just can't like sit and not do anything about right. it right like, we have to analyze you, you kind of have to nitpick every individual behavior that is involved in it where it's like well um when it comes to uh, things like you know personal space or when it comes to you know alcohol consumption or when it comes to um you know, like, uh, just, yeah, nonverbals. Like, when it comes to, like, it's like there's, there's several different components that all need to individually be analyzed in order to provide, like, the greatest way to analyze your own behaviors and see where it's like, well, maybe, like, I did this wrong or maybe I should have acted better in this situation mm -hmm. or, like, maybe I, you know, should have been... A better ally or somebody who was like more self-aware and like me per like personally speaking like I know there's many like th there's many instances when I know that like I could have done something better mm -hmm. and it's 
like, and it's painful to acknowledge. And I think that a part of the issue is a lot of some, there's people that just don't want to acknowledge that, that kind of stuff because it's going to make them feel like a bad person or it's going to make them feel like, oh, like, you know, I fucked up. So that means like, I can't be, I can't be, I can't partake in this because like, you know, I made a mistake when like, I, I didn't know how to respond in this situation or like I didn't know how or like I didn't know like cues as well as I do now but really it's like you know like like I and like it's like you know I I'm a dude that grew up and was raised with those kinds of like mentalities and it's like I know that like you know I've made mistakes like when it comes to you know how, like, I've approached women, like, when I was younger, or, like, when it came to how, you know, I assessed the situation, but it's, like, that's a thing, it's, like, I know that, like, I can do better, and I want, and I want to be, and I want my friends to be, and I know, you know, all my friends are not perfect in that regard either, I know most, I'd say most people I know probably haven't been, and that is why it's an overarching issue of just how we are educated. Mm -hmm. And just how sure. we are, how we are taught to know what is and is not okay. Mm -hmm. No, I think we should definitely teach kids consent and bodily autonomy. Oh, like even, not even regards to sex, in regards to, you know, if you don't want to give grandma a hug, you don't have to give grandma a hug. Oh, you know, yeah. like stuff like that. Yeah, like it's yeah. as easy as that. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, one of my first, <laughs> one of my first childhood memories is I was in kindergarten and these boys in my class kept lifting up my best friend's dress. And, you know, we were both telling them to stop, and they wouldn't. And I remember going to the teacher and being like, hey, like, this is happening, and they're not listening to us. And she essentially gave me the, like, boys will be boys, you know, conversation. Right. And that was the first, I didn't know it at the time, but that was the first time I learned that, you know, adults are not looking out for, out for me. You know, this is going to be my experience as a girl, as a woman, you know. And I just feel like we have such a responsibility as adults to teach that to younger generations and you know I don't think we are a lost cause I think what you are saying is like the first step like acknowledging like yeah I have made mistakes in the past but I'm gonna be better I'm gonna do better mm -hmm. and I just think ugh, we're constantly learning I feel like for me when it's like a celebrity that's done something in the past I'm like canceled yeah. <laughs> like we're done mm -hmm. um just because they're making, like, millions of dollars. But, like, I feel like when it's one of my friends, it's like, okay, let's learn from this situation. Mm -hmm. Let's... And sometimes you do have to cut people off. Um, if they... Like, specifically if, like, they did something wrong, but they refused to own it, they refused to acknowledge yeah. it, or they're continuous perpetrators. Someone has... Like, the, someone has to want to change. Mm -hmm. And yeah, exactly. it's not your responsibility to, you know... Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, you can give them all the tools that you can mm -hmm. if they still don't want to you know, be better than, yeah. you can't, you can't fundamentally change a person that doesn't want yeah. to change. Hence why it's necessary to cut certain people off. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, a hundred percent. So when we were like, so my friends and I, when we were in like eighth grade, like we thought it was funny to like go up, like the girls in our grade that we all thought were like cute or whatever, we would like run up like and go up and like slap their butts, you know, yes. and <laughs> And it's like, why did we think that was funny or cool? Yeah. It's like, we thought it was funny. Mm -hmm. 
And that was, like, our way of flirting. And looking back, it's like... It's like you wouldn't see, like, an adult do that and not be reprimanded or held accountable for something like that because that's just not okay to do it's like yeah we thought that was like funny Mm -hmm. but it's like fuck like you hear like and especially with how much more open of a conversation it's been um like you see people i i see a lot of women i know that post like publicly like on facebook about times they they've been like groped or times they've been you know, approached or catcalled mm. or just approached on the street and, like, you know, like, even fucking followed or some shit like that. Like, it's like, 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 wh- like, those, it's, it's kind of like a domino effect almost where it's like, you know, those little behaviors that you think are okay when you're younger, you know, if you don't grow up and learn that, like, you should or should not do this, it's like if you think that those kinds of things are okay, that can lead to dangerous behaviors. And, you know, I mean, I want to say, like, you know, obviously my friends and I don't do that anymore, but it's like we thought that that was okay when we were... And there's a lot of people who still do that yeah. at our age, so, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. But we were 14, you know? <laughs> well, I think that, like the effort to unlearn it, like, even now, I mean, friends of mine did that in high school, too, I mean, I did it to my friends, like, my girlfriends in high school and middle school, but, like, I also wasn't given the tools to be, like, hey, that's not cool, or, like, hey, you probably shouldn't do that, so, like, looking back on it now, I'm, like, I should have done better, but I didn't know how to, Mm -hmm. so I think that the first step in that is just, like you said before, realizing, like, okay, I did something and it was bad, but now I can learn how to, I can unlearn it. So I think that's yeah. where it starts. And I think our education system failed us. Like, I don't nope. think in my high school, like, health classes, I don't think rape was ever discussed. We or, ever dis- yeah, I don't think we ever discussed Sexual it. harassment. I don't think anything like that was discussed. It yeah. was like, STDs, you're gonna die if you have sex. Like, that's Watch one of those stupid, like, lifetime movies from the 90s. <laughs> yeah. And I don't yeah. know if consent was mentioned. Oh, no, I have no like, recollection. No, yeah. at all. So, you, learned, you learned what the organs are and what they do. I don't think we even learned that. We learned the male, oh, we learned the the male organs. <laughs> Not the female right. organs. Yeah, so, yeah, I think just yep. education. I mean, if you feel like that you weren't taught these things, then educate yourself. I mean, we have access to the internet now, so mm-hmm. it's like ignorance is kind of a choice. You can literally point. Google. Yeah, you can yeah. Google. Is this okay? <laughs> like you can Google. I can see you doing that. <laughs> okay, but I have actually like Googled like you know how can I like you know acknowledge toxic behaviors I've had yeah, in the past. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, I have to get over that uh, that um, sort of existential fear where it's like, what if someone like hacks me or sees my search history and sees me like trying to learn about how I can like be a better person. Yeah. But I have to fucking swallow that up. Everyone oh, yeah. does it. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone does it internally and externally, but they're afraid to do it externally. I cannot. I, can, I cannot with you right now. I'm sorry. It's okay. All right, Woo! so we're gonna wrap up. Um, so um, Nat, we'll start with you. What keeps you up at night? 
Oh God. Um. Well, so many things, but I'll first start <laughs> with abortion access and Roe v. Wade because Roe um is there. It is. It will be overturned in the next few years, which is really scary. Um, people that we were talking about, like fake clinics, like people that actually think that abortion is murdering babies, which so is not. Um, so yeah, just impending doom always keeps <laughs> me up at night. Same. Always. And then I take some cold medicine and then I go to sleep because I can't, I can't stop thinking about it. So Ooh, it's great. It got real. It's, yeah. It's just, it's, right. it's a lot. So, oh no. yeah. What keeps you up at night? Um, probably every stupid thing I've said or done in my life. Ooh, yeah. Even if it was like 10 oh, years yeah. ago. Like, mm-hmm. like, why did I do yeah. that? Oh yeah. I'm like, I was so stupid. Like, yeah. Why did I do that? And then oh like, yeah. I think that's totally innate to be yeah. like, mm-hmm. wow. I knew what I know now. Right. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. What puts you to sleep? Well, you kind of said it. Cold night. Yeah, like, um, what is it? Z-Quil? Z-Quil or NyQuil or whatever it's called. Oh, that stuff um, makes me want to bomb. I, like, I just, I'm sorry. Well, I just, like, I can't if do, I, like, liquid cold medicine. Yeah, well, I can't. I mean, I'm a bad sleeper in general. Um, but what puts me to sleep, um. Figuratively. Yeah, um, my puppy lays right on top of me when you sleep, so that puts me to sleep because she's perfect and she doesn't know that things are going to shit, um, mm. which is very... Love dogs. Yep, yep. <laughs> um, and waking up the next morning and doing my job is what I love, Good. so then I get excited to wake up. Awesome. Yeah. I'm glad you have a job that that gives you sort of that like mindset right away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What puts you to sleep? I think my brain just gets tired from all the <laughs> all, all the, the regrets, yeah, <laughs> all the panic. No, um, a lot of times I'm like really excited to drink coffee in the morning. So like, dude, I, me too. Me yeah, too. I like literally wake up and that's like the first thing I'm excited yes. for to turn my coffee pot on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Start. So I'm like, if I go to sleep, yeah. then the morning will come faster and then I can drink coffee. Yeah, yep. I get so excited for coffee. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, thank you for watching, Mr. Nice Guy. Um, hold your friends accountable. Point at, look inward, look at your own behaviors and how you can do better. Mm-hmm. And also just start having conversations with people, like with your friends about issues like this. Because we don't talk about it within our circles enough. Mm-hmm. And I think that it, the more normalized it is to talk about what is and isn't okay in mm-hmm. how you, you know, approach your crush or how you, in general, just talk about you know, some people that you're interested in, like, you know, the more normalized it is, the more you can be self-aware, mm-hmm. you know? Yep. And believe survivors. And yes, and believe yep. survivors. Validate them. Mm-hmm. Fucking validate, like, their emotions are valid. Validate them. Mm-hmm. All right. Thanks for watching. We'll see you next time.